but this is how you get the market started, right? You have to demonstrate that there's actually demand. Ideally, you have one or two banks that do have some version of an API available, and then the rest of it is FOMO. Hey listeners, and welcome to episode two of the Race on Rise podcast. I was so excited to share my conversation with Paolo last week that I completely forgot to introduce myself. I'm Annette Osmeña, a growth consultant from the Philippines who spent her whole career working with startups in Berlin, Germany, and now has moved on to exploring the startup scene in Southeast Asia. In this series, I'm talking to clients, buddies, and new friends at companies making an impact in Asia about how they grow. Joining me today is Todd Schweitzer, CEO and co-founder of Brancas, an API provider bringing open banking to Southeast Asia. But obviously, he does a better job of explaining what exactly it is that they do. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based fintech company, uh, and we do very interesting but very behind-the-scenes fintech infrastructure um, solutions. So kind of in industry speak, what we're doing is open banking infrastructure. This is really the behind the scenes APIs and technology that make it easy uh, for financial institutions to connect with fintechs. API stands for Application Programming Interface. It's what defines interactions between different softwares. It's basically like a rule book or a dictionary that defines how different softwares can talk to each other. For example, it tells the bank software and the shop software or your e-wallet what kind of information they can share, what kinds of actions or calls can be made, how to make them, what data to use, etc. So both you and your co-founder are from the US and you've mentioned to me that you both moved over to Asia for both personal and professional reasons. Um, but how did you decide then which countries or which markets to start your company in? We launched Brancas four years ago, uh, actually in Indonesia first. Um, you might be aware Indonesia has a really thriving fintech scene. And even in 2016, when we launched, the very beginnings of the, of the fintech industry were already taking hold. From there, we expanded to the Philippines, then Vietnam, then Thailand, and now Singapore. And we will be launching in Bangladesh in January of next year. So you guys are all over the region, basically. And very fortunate given the COVID situation, we operate as a completely distributed team. So even my co-founder and I are in different cities. So Ken is my co-founder and CTO. We've known each other since college many, many years ago. Uh, but he's based in Jakarta and I'm based in Manila. And we said, even on day one, we said, look, if we're going to hire a real engineering team and have a proper tech company, Limiting ourselves to one country in Southeast Asia is going to be quite restrictive in terms of finding talent, right? Um, and even the largest tech companies in Southeast Asia have realized this and have had to kind of branch out. So we said from day one, we're going to be remote first. We're going to hire engineers anywhere in the world as long as they're within kind of the Asia Pacific time zones. The benefit of that four years later is when COVID hit, we basically had zero operational disruption because we've already always been operating um, as a remote first kind of digital first team, you know, working asynchronously and working with online tools is sort of core to what we do. And it, it allows us to find really, really good people. You know, we have staff in China, in India, in Bali, Indonesia, in Jakarta, Indonesia, in Cagayan de Oro, Philippines, in Manila, in Bangkok. And so to me in Southeast Asia, that has been a huge advantage for us and even more so during, during the COVID situation. 
I think that's such an interesting strategy, especially because then you guys aren't limiting yourselves geographically to finding the best talent. And now you've been able to um, grow so much and so fast in the last four years. Um, but where, where, did, how did you guys start? What's Brancas's origin story? Branca started by us recognizing a problem uh, in e-commerce, which is across Southeast Asia, really, there is a whole network of what are called social commerce sellers which these are the Facebook sellers, Instagram sellers, right? More and more they're setting up like Shopify or WooCommerce or whatever kind of storefronts. But still today, a massive chunk of the SME online economy, their Facebook and Instagram are their storefronts, right? So your inventory you put on your Instagram account or on your Facebook page and customers contact you through the chat, you know, through Facebook Messenger for Instagram DM. And then the way that they pay, and this was this was our, our kind of first problem that we were looking at, the way that they pay is they will send a bank transfer, they'll send a screenshot of their deposit slip, and then the merchant needs to then manually check each transaction to figure out which customer paid for which item and is it available. And there's a whole, that creates a whole slew of downstream problems as well. And we said, this is crazy. We said this, Philippines and Indonesia both have credit card penetration below 5%, right? So by far the most common way that people pay online, even for the big e-commerce merchants is by bank transfer, right? And yet we were, we were thinking to ourselves, if people are paying by bank transfer and merchants are collecting payments by bank transfer, why is there not banking technology that makes it easy for me as a merchant to figure out which customer paid me or for me as a customer to instantly pay the merchant without needing to go through a middleman without needing to use a virtual account, which is this weird semi product that just adds complexity in Indonesia. And there's even some payment gateways that operate just by intermediating bank transfer, i.e. you pay the payment gateway, the payment gateway collects your bank transfer and then reconciles and then sends it back to the merchant and takes you know, 50 cents or a dollar for the transaction. So if you're transferring funds from bank A to bank B, there should be no reason to have a middleman. The, the limiting factor was technology. The banks were not providing this technology um, and the merchants were not aware that there was a better way of doing this. And so Branca stepped in to build this, um, this layer of technology that would make it easier for customers to initiate a bank transfer payment and for merchants to receive, pay, receive and track payments by bank transfer. And that was the very starting point. Um, we thought that the banks were not going to be very willing to join in this journey. Uh, but over time, we, re we realized that actually not all, but some of the banks recognize this as a problem, recognize that they can actually offer new, more modern fintech products to their customers. Um, and since then, we've built a network of, of banks around the region uh, that Brancas is plugged into. And so today, we have the way that Brancas operates today is we have what's called the supply side and the demand side. That's our term for it. The supply side are the financial institutions that are connected to the Broncos network and that offer various pro bank products through APIs. And then the demand side are all of the fintechs, the small businesses, the e-commerce sites, the online lenders, the insurance companies, uh, even the startup digital banks that want to consume these APIs to allow their customers to connect their banks and link their banks up to, to, to the, the fintech products. So that's what we do today. And what is it exactly that you guys are trying to achieve um, long-term? What's, what's the mission and vision here? 
Branca's vision is to make modern financial services available to everyone. And the reason we chose that as our vision is because most of the population of Southeast Asia is unbanked. We're talking about only 30 to 40% of the population in Indonesia and the Philippines, for example, that have access to a bank account, right? So what, it, what does this mean? This means that uh, receiving remittances costs more. It means that sending money back to family and friends costs more. It means preparing for goods online costs more. It means saving, you know, having access to interest-bearing savings uh, isn't accessible or costs more. It means that accessing credit can be more than 20% per month, right? From these informal lenders in the Philippines, you call them five, six, right? Because you pay five and you have to pay back six. Well, what, that, what does that mean? That means a 20% interest rate, right? Monthly. And then they, and then you know, you can put yourself at real harm if you're not if you're not able to pay back, right? It's a sad reality, yeah. But um, why do you think it's like that? We see one of the fundamental reasons why uh, Southeast Asia is so unbanked is because the major financial institutions see the mass market, which is a nice word for saying the lower income population, is not profitable to serve as a customer bank. So literally the large banks just opt out of serving these customer groups. They say the, the, the lower income customers, the smaller SME businesses, it's too much fuss, it's too much customer service, the balances are too low, the amount of loan that they'll take out, the number of transactions they do with us are too low, it's just not worth it. So they opt out and they just choose not to offer financial services to a large chunk, literally the majority of the population. So. Our, our, our mission and kind of our goals at Broncos are aligned around how do we change the economics of consumer and SME financial services to make it worth it to get banking services um, accessible by this population. Um, and the way you do that, in our view, is you shift from a branch-centric model, which is the default model for financial institutions across Southeast Asia, right? If you want to expand to province ABC or municipality ABC, you have to build a physical branch, you have to staff it, you have to deal with cash trucks, you have to deal with risk, you have to deal with all sorts of uh, operational challenges and capital expenditure to make that happen. That's the old game. The new game is you partner with fintechs, you partner with third parties, and you provide financial services that can be distributed online. And this is not as this is broader than simply having an app or having some sort of, um, you know, some sort of online channel. We're talking about having the API technology that allows you to connect to third parties who can then access those customers on your behalf. And this is where, you know, we hear buzzword about banking as a service or neobanks and all these terms. Underneath it all, there's a, there's a financial institution offering typical banking products, right? They're managing a ledger of, you know, the deposit, the total deposits that a customer has, the total outstanding loans that a customer has, right? They're providing basic payment facilities. But on top of that, how is a customer actually accessing those products? How is a customer onboarding? How is a customer finding out about a, a, a new low-cost loan or line of credit or you know, farming loan or a, uh, a remittance service um, that they can access? They do not necessarily need to use channels that the bank owns anymore. And so this is the real value of open banking. And we hear this buzzword out you know, in Europe, but in, in Southeast Asia, this is about enabling customers through technology to access and interact with their uh, financial services through third-party channels. What does that mean in, in layman's terms? That means providing the technology so that banks and fintechs can partner much more easily than they could before. That means no custom IT project that takes six to nine months to connect bank A to fintech B or e-wallet B 
it means that the banks provide an API layer, right? Which is a set of a set of technologies that makes it very, very easy for the bank to connect to one or five or 10 different fintechs using a common language and a common set of infrastructure. Um, the benefit to the bank is that the bank does not need to do a custom IT project every time they connect to a partner. And the benefit to the fintech is, you know, they can basically do onboarding and plug into a bank's set of products um, without needing to go through a whole partnership process and without needing to spend developer time and resourcing figuring out how to do this custom build out because there's a standard way to plug in, right? This is why I say we're doing very behind the scenes uh, fintech infrastructure, but the result of that is creating new ways that customers who were previously neglected by the incumbent financial institutions to access financial services. And ideally what this does is create a more competitive uh, market so that banks in the future are actually competing for, for competing for the business of retail customers and SME customers who in the past have not even been offered high quality products by these banks. Mm -hmm. So it really does force them to keep innovating and um, pushing for progress basically in the industry. Absolutely. And we saw, and we saw this, we saw this during the pandemic, right? Because some of the old school banks in this region that were very, very branch centric, you know, all the sales are driven through relationship managers and branch heads, right? You know, especially in the Philippines where I'm based, the first month or two of the pandemic, literally there were no branches open. So if you're a bank that relies on a branch-based model for onboarding new customers, that channel is now gone. And so during this time, there was a massive split between those banks that were able to onboard customers digitally and provide cashless solutions, and those banks that literally had to shut down and set up VPNs and a very basic work-from-home model while all their branches were closed. And in the meantime, they could not un onboard one single customer because they did not have the tech infrastructure to do it online. So essentially you're connecting, as you said, um, the supply and demand side in the fintech and banking industry, which is such a complex, regulated, and in many ways um, still traditional industry. So what was your approach to penetrating the market and getting to where you are now? In the open banking or, you know, the API technology, open banking API technology sub-industry within, within financial services, Brancas has been introducing this technology for the first time to our bank partners and to our customers. So, you know, I, I tell my team all the time, as when you, if you join a startup, you have basically two options. You can join a startup that is creating something, a, a brand new industry, which involves a lot of customer education. And in fact, the first months of your effort, um, especially in, if it's a B2B business, months and months of your time is going to spend educating the market that there's actually a better way. Compare that to a more, you know, when you're bringing a new solution to an existing market where customers are already shopping for a solution and your solution happens to be better than the competitors, right? In our case, we're introducing basically a completely new distribution model, a completely new product model. Um, and a set of technologies that few to any banks are using in any of these markets, right? So, you know, we have to take a slightly different approach to growth um, from the very beginning, which is number one, customer education is core to our growth strategy, which means we have a responsibility 
to educate the market on what the heck are open APIs for fintech? What can they do for a financial institution? What can they do for a fintech? What can they do for an e-commerce company? What can they do for an insurance company? What can they do for an e-wallet, right? And, and letting our potential customers know that there's a better way that they didn't even know existed before. Okay, so you approached growth from a customer education perspective. Our approach to growth has not only involved customer education, but it's involved regulator education. Because fintech is a, is a highly regulated industry, probably second only to healthcare, we have to work proactively, closely, transparently, and honestly with the regulator, right? And this is something that I, you know, I, I come from a public policy background, so I, I knew that you know, if the regulations were not yet written, we would need to help at some point somehow. But my one of my big learnings was the importance of being a partner and supporter for the regulator if you're entering into a regulated industry that hasn't yet regulated your product. Because sooner or later, they're going to need to regulate your product, right? And in the case of, you know, for example, I give the Philippines and Indonesia as examples, but even Thailand, um, where we are, are, are launching um, where we've launched this year, uh, the, the central banks or the, you know, it's either the central bank, it's the data privacy commission, it's the, um, the IT ministry, depending on the, depending on the country. And th there are no regulations in place governing, uh, financial services delivered through API, API technology, right? It just doesn't exist. And so, uh, we can take an approach of saying, ignoring the regulator and waiting until we get. Um, get into trouble and then come to the table, which I could crudely call the Uber approach, right? Which is basically just proceed until you absolutely cannot and then go to the table, uh, playing a bit of chicken. Or you can take a more proactive approach and say, and, and, and kind of stress transparency, honesty, and frankly, share the financial inclusion ethos of the company and say, what we're doing is not trying to subvert any existing regulations. We're not trying to introduce risk into the system. We are legitimately trying to introduce a new technology that will help uh, change the economics of consumer and SME banking and make it easier for a fintech ecosystem to develop. So we have practically every month been hosting events with the central banks, the data privacy commissions, um, even politicians, even some of the legislators in these markets um, who are involved in financial services regulation. Just being available as much as possible not as not that Broncos knows everything about API and API technology or fintech regulation, but just to share our observations about what the market is asking for and where the gaps are in the current industry. And then we've been offered in, you know, that starts a conversation, right? That starts a conversation about what sort of regulations would help create a, a, a level playing field. What are the best case studies from around the world or in Southeast Asia that uh, a, a particular regulator could adopt? because they love sort of comparing amongst themselves. And so I think core to our growth is, again, this, this idea of customer education and brand building and really educating that there's a better way, as well as helping the regulator understand and, and demystify this technology, that it is not going to create more risk as long as certain basic technical and operational guidelines are followed, right? And we have the benefit in you know, in the open banking economy, we have the benefit of the European model. So Europe has introduced already this concept of APIs for, for financial services and open banking. And so we, and Hong Kong, Hong Kong has introduced this, Singapore to some degree has introduced this, Australia has introduced this. And so we can take these models and say, 
objectively, here's what's going on in other markets. And based on the what we're hearing from potential and existing customers in, you know, in country A, our recommendation would be to follow certain guidelines, uh, you know, drawing on the best, the best of all of all of these countries' uh, regulations combined. But what do you you see has been like the biggest challenge or hindrance in in actually growing in in this region in particular? Um, so in financial services in Southeast Asia, the market is dominated by a few really big players. You know, if you think of the top banks in each country, they typically have a walled garden mentality, right? It's a mentality of everything that is our banking product should happen within our ecosystem, right? Which means the banks want to control and manage their own customer data, um, they want to make it hard for customers to switch banks. They want to make it hard for customers to to even interoperate between bank A and bank B. Um, and so it's a very it's a mentality of making it harder to switch banks versus a mentality of openness. Right? These large banks also typically dominate the industry associations. So the bankers association, the, even the fintech associations, sometimes are dominated by um, large banks, large payment gateways, or other or other large financial institutions that have an interest in maintaining status quo. Now that is changing, and it's a little unfair to me for me to, to, to say that's true for all of the large institutions across Southeast Asia. But generally speaking, there's a mentality of banks in Southeast Asia are very profitable. The larger banks are even more profitable because they have the market power. They've invested a lot of capital into building a branch network, into building a, a partnership network of their own. And so why would they want to support opening up new technologies that effectively lo lower the value of these brick and mortar investments that they've made? So our approach to growth on the bank side has been really working with the mid-sized banks in particular, and the non-bank fintechs that are that are offering competing products to the banks, um, because these the smaller, you know, tier two, let's call it, you know, tier two banks, they're much more hungry. They're much more eager. They want, they're willing to play a new game. They don't want to play the old game of trying to build as many branches as they can. They have open minds about partnering and um, working with fintechs to develop new newer solutions. And how do you how do you guys measure your your growth and your success? Like, what are the metrics or goals that you're all working towards? Like, what is the what are the main objectives of your teams? So first off, as a as a remote team, we have to be more clear about our goals and our and our mission because I think one of the main kind of culture pillars in a in a distributed team is you have to over communicate your goals, your messaging, your values even more than you would if you were in a physical space, right? And so we've been quite deliberate about setting, measuring, publicizing, tracking uh, team and company goals. So at our, our North Star metric are transactions that Broncos is facilitating. So it's the number of transactions that Broncos is facilitating. Now, these transactions are not necessarily payment transactions. It's a, it is a customer doing something on the Broncos network, whether that's using our identity product to log into a fintech app um, whether it is a customer sharing their account statement, sharing their account data in order to access a low-cost alternative loan. It's a customer using our APIs to 
um, to make a payment when they check out at an e-commerce site where they can you know, check out at a much lower cost. It's the bank that are using Broncos infrastructure to connect to third parties and then are running transactions on that network. So our North Star is our North Star is number of transactions on the on the network. And then we have specific goals in terms of transaction or usage broken down by product type. Those are our main those are our main metrics in terms of kind of pure operational growth. Other things we look closely at are uh, number one, how many banks are on the Broncos network? In, in Philippines, in Indonesia, in Thailand, how many banks are we connected to that allow our customers to give their customers a chance to plug in and access their bank account? That's, an impo- that's our supply side metric, right? Which is the number of active bank integrations we have. And, and it's a flywheel, right? The more, the more bank integrations we have, the more attractive the, the open banking APIs are for our, for our users. And the more users we have, the more interesting it is for the banks to plug into that network. Right. So that's one. That that's one. Internally, uh, we track our employer net promoter score, employee net promoter score quite closely. Um, so every quarter, we do a pretty detailed employee survey, and our ENPS is is something we track closely to make sure that that our our staff feels fulfilled. Um, they understand our the vision, mission, and the values and the, the the direction of our company. On the engineering side, we also we follow a, a strict uh, Scrum methodology. Um, I'm not a very technical person, but I know that we're tracking closely uh, story points and velocity and kind of overall developer productivity. Because another risk as a as a remote team is you have to be able to track and make sure that your each of your engineers is is working productively and towards the same goal. So we have a, a number of engineering metrics we we track as well. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that working in sprints has made you guys more agile, or um, has it helped you improve like? in how quickly you can test and reiterate and and change things. Absolutely. So we're actually fortunate to have uh, one of our engineering managers who works very closely with our CTO. Uh, he's actually a scrum instructor. So he is, you know, I, I kind of as a side gig is actually actually leads trainings on for scrum masters. And he's actually he becomes super valuable for some of our large clients because we'll do scrum workshops with our clients as a way of getting our clients to move faster with us. And this is especially valuable for our bank partners because our bank partners most of the time are operating on a very traditional kind of six month, 12 month IT roadmap with a massive Gantt chart, right? And they have certain milestones for delivery, but they they know that they need to shift to an agile way of working and an agile mindset. Uh, but it's hard to move an old oil tanker, right? And so I think what I've found, and it's a bit of a, not core to our business, but it's hugely valuable to our clients and our partners is, you know, for the, the bank partners where we have, you know, kind of deep and ongoing relationships, we will run scrum trainings with the client's IT team so that we then march on the same, on the same beat, right? So we only hire and bring on our engineers if they're already familiar with and comfortable and experienced with scrum methodology right so that's sort of a bar even before you join us as an engineer um, or as a product manager um, where we found uh, faster delivery and product development with our partners is actually when we bring in scrum methodology to them and and actually adopt a adopt a scrum model together uh, so so we found that really valuable 
That's so cool. And you also mentioned just a little while ago about the network effect that you gain with each new user, each new fintech, each new bank. So um, how did you guys, what was the plan in getting to that um, critical mass where you could go to a bank and they would see the value in it? Or did you start with the banks? So our approach was to build the supply side before the banks were ready or willing to provide APIs is we would, we would provide and we built in-house basically a bot that would allow for a customer to do things like sharing their account data or initiating a bank transfer payment. And basically what they're doing is they're authorizing Broncos to run a bot on their online banking session to execute a payment or to share their account data or to um, verify their identity, verify their address, whatever they wanted to do. All of this is based explicitly on the customer's consent. We never do anything unless the customer explicitly authorizes Broncos to do this. And we always follow the security protocols of the bank itself. So if the bank requires a certain kind of one-time password or authentication, we use that same authentication. We would never, and we still never, store the user credentials. So if the customer needs to enter their username and password in order to send a payment or to, or to share their bank account data, we never store the username and password anywhere. Uh, in fact, it, it never leaves the customer's device. It's just injected into the API. What that means is that we can provide a secure experience that allows customers to access open banking products even before the banks have made the APIs available. And then we would uh, go back to the banks and say, hey, you can, um, Broncos can help you build up these API products. We can go to market together. We can do a revenue share model and find new ways to, to offer you know, your products through API, or you can continue to expose yourself to you know, effectively these, the, you know, companies that run bots and Broncos, I guess, to our credit is we do everything very securely, always based on customer consent. We never store user credentials, but there are other companies that frankly speaking, do not take the same level of care about managing customer security. Right. And so, so really, you know, our, our approach to generating interest in, you know, API products was to basically find a way through these bots or screen scraping to build up a very minimal set of supply side of supply side for the banks and then go back to other banks and say you know do you want to be a part of this network and it can help you you know generate new revenue acquire new customers but this is how you get the market started right you have to demonstrate that there's actually demand you have to demonstrate that there's actually willingness uh, from customers to actually try out this new behavior. Ideally, you have one or two banks that do have some version of an API available, and then the rest of it is FOMO. Now in 2020, it's already assumed that the banks will that the banks have to invest in and build out open API products. And so now it's just a question of how fast can the banks set up these API products and get to market with partners like Broncos uh, so that they can effectively substitute um, their branch network because people are not going out and there's not much interest to stand in line wait at branches. They have to rely on cashless and they have to rely on online transactions in a way that they didn't before. Awesome. I think the fintech industry is one I find so interesting and it's so complex we could talk about it for hours. But to sort of sum it all up, what are the most important lessons you learned in growing Brancas in Southeast Asia the last couple of years? So, so I think, again, my, my perspective comes from a, a regulated and a, a very enterprise-focused space, but I think these are my, my conclusions that I've drawn over the years. You know, understand how much customer education is needed, 
uh, demonstrate demand by hacking it if necessary, create FOMO, especially with large incumbents, and in a regulated industry, don't be afraid to approach the regulator. Yeah, so there you have it, right? Um, solid advice for anyone starting a company or growing a company in a highly regulated enterprise industry. Thanks for coming on and sharing your experience and advice with us, Todd. Thank you so much for the time, Annette. I really appreciate the the effort and you know the thoughtfulness of your questions and the interest in open banking and the, the Broncos growth journey. Well, that's our show for today. Um, join me next week as I go in-depth with my pal Cindy Burdett, CEO and founder of AllCare, about how they set up their social media marketing to get B2B leads, how they've optimized their sales funnel to win customers, and we even chat a bit about Paolo and Aid from last week's episode. I hope you'll join us. I'm sure you'll learn a lot, and we had a lot of fun chatting, so I think you'll enjoy it too.